Good morning. Isn't it great to be in the house of the Lord this morning? How many of you are ready to worship and praise our mighty God? Amen. If you would stand with us as we sing, come now is a time to worship because no one else is worthy of our praise. God said, come just as you are. It doesn't matter about what you are or who you are or where you've been. All that matters is you come with me. Psalm 95 says, oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. This morning, as we enter into his presence, I encourage you to do that. Think of at least one thing that you're thankful for. 
Think of at least one thing as we sing these songs. Say, God, I thank you for this. I thank you for that. I thank you that you are the only one worthy of all praise. Amen. Let's sing.
worship you. We thank you that there is none like you, none worthy of praise.
you're at this morning, just sing this old hymn and worship him. Nothing is like looking at the face of Jesus. glory and 
be seated. Psalms 100 reads, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. And boy, if there's ever been a time in the world that we live in, man, we need to shout to the Lord. Man, we need to shout to Him with all we have in us. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and to His courts with praise. Be thankful to Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And His truth endures for all generations. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Praise God. Praise God. I'm glad you came too. It's good to see you this morning, and I hope that you are well. I do have, just it happens this way sometimes in the life of a church. I have a lot of announcements to give you this morning. All right? So here's what I want you to do. If you have a copy of the bulletin, would you please take it out? I feel like I'm getting ready to preach a sermon. Take your bulletin and join me today <laughs> for our text. Now, everybody have your bulletin? No. Michael does. Thank you for listening, man. I appreciate it. All right, everybody ready? Everybody say, Brother Jesse. We can't wait to hear these announcements. Because we know that these touch on the communal life of our church. And there are so many churches. There's nothing happening. And we're glad that we go to a church where there are things happening, Brother Jesse. And because we want to be plugged into what's happening, we're going to do our best to sit on the edge of our seat and give our full attention to the announcements. All right. Amen. So, now, first of all, I try to do these in chronological order the best that I can. Today, immediately following our uh, worship service, I'm going to ask all the ladies in the church, if you would, to please hang around for a few minutes. Um, the preacher's wife is going to meet with y'all. And Sister Amy's going to, I don't know if I should call you, Sister Honey's going to meet with y'all, Sister Sweetheart. Y'all know what I'm saying. <laughs> hey, y'all get it. Um, Amy, Amy wants to meet with you to talk about the ladies' Bible studies that will be coming up in just a few weeks. I sense and I, I realize that for so many of the ladies in our church, you are hungry for a deeper walk with the Lord. You're hungry for close relationships with other godly ladies and you want to grow together in your love for the Lord, I pray that God puts that in the men of our church. Somebody say amen. Amen. Thank you, Will. And uh, ladies, we, we want you to be a part of these studies, and so there are two different options, but she'll tell you more about all that. So just meet kind of over here, be up on your left at the front of the church after our service. Now, uh, next Sunday, next Sunday, we are having a baby shower for Sister Haley, for little Palmer, as she gets ready to make her entrance into the world, that'll be a drop-in shower from 2 to 4. 
and they are registered at Target. So if you don't know what to get them, all you have to do is go to Target and say, I need to get something for Haley Jackson. They will escort you through the rest of the service, all right? They can take care of that for you. This is an opportunity to be a blessing to them before Little Palmer, before Little Palmer comes. Um, also, uh, Brother, um, Brother James and Sister Sheila, most of y'all know that they are very, very active with um, Alabama Baptist Disaster Relief. And there's some upcoming training with Alabama Baptist over the next few weeks. And some of you, I'm just going to tell you as your pastor, some of y'all need to get involved with Alabama Baptist Disaster Relief. Y'all be great at this. And there are ministry options for people with uh, all kinds of gifts. And so if you would, there, there'll be a kind of a, a information sheet like this one out in the lobby. Look for this when you leave. Um, and if you have any more questions, ask James and Sheila. But on Sunday night, February the 26th, our 6 o'clock service, Steve Knox, who is kind of local coordinator for Alabama Baptist Disaster Relief, he's going to be here presenting that work to you. Y'all know that there's bad weather coming our way this week, right? Well, y'all better pray it doesn't. But if it does, I guarantee you, I guarantee you that before Alabama Power, before FEMA, before anybody else goes to work, Alabama Baptists are going to be there. They're going to be working. And some of you need to hear about this and hear how you can be involved in this ministry. So seriously, talk to James and Sheila before you leave today. They can, they can give you more information than I possibly could. There's probably more. Oh, there is more. Say, Brother Jesse, we're still listening. That's what I thought. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> Discipleship training this afternoon. Brother Corey wanted me to tell you that you have homework. So you need to read Genesis chapter 1 through Genesis chapter 3 today. Genesis 1 through 3. You can manage that. I think we can, and I've got to do it too, so I think we can, I think we can do that. I hope everything else will be in your bulletin. Um, if not, see, we want to start, church is going to start at 1030 just to get through all this. No, it's fine. Um, no choir practice, no choir practice this afternoon. All right, we're going to pray over our offering today. Before we do, I want to introduce our preacher this morning, who needs no introduction here at Sharon Heights. But we are blessed today to have Steve Loggins, who is our associational missionary with North Jefferson Baptist Association. I'm thankful for people who surrender their life to missions work. And sometimes that takes people all over the world, and sometimes it just leads people to serve in the local church. Brother, we love you. We're thankful for the way you've ministered to our church over the years, and we're thankful that you're here so we're going to pray over our offering, and then after the ushers get finished and the music stops, the service is yours. So you come preach. Somebody asked him, I think Tree asked him, said they're going to preach you to death today, aren't they? So that's what I want you all to do. Listen, give him good amens, clap, take good notes, and he's going to speak the word of God to us today. So let's pray for Brother Steve. Our Father, we are so thankful, Lord, for this day that you have given us. Lord, we're thankful for a Lord's Day where we can gather in worship. We can hear the songs of God sung, the word of God read. We can see the people of God lift up their hands and voices in worship. God, what great eternal treasures we've got to enjoy today. And we thank you, God. And Lord, I thank you today that for all of your goodness to me, which as the psalmist said, will never end. Lord, I'm thankful that one day, one day, Lord, even though I was blind, you came into my life. And Lord, where I was once blind, Lord, now I see. And I'm thankful, God, that there are others here that have met Jesus and have had the eyes of their soul opened by Him. But God, I also know that there may be some in this place today, Lord, that have never been born again. 
God, I pray that this day would be the day when they meet the Lord Jesus and He lays a hand of healing on their soul and they're changed forever. And then, Lord, I know that there are others who are discouraged by circumstances in life or distracted by events in life. God, my prayer for them, Lord, is that you would give them hope as we just sang about a moment ago. Remind them, Lord, that you are their God. Remind them, Lord, that they are the sheep of your pasture. Remind them, Lord, that you are our good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. And Lord, because he has given his life to us, Lord, we have life free and we have life abundantly. So God, I pray that you would continue to let us worship as we go forward in our service and as Brother Steve comes, Lord, give him liberty and freedom to preach your word. And God, I pray that we would be hearers and doers of your word as we listen to the gospel message proclaimed through your man this morning. Bless us, we pray, in Christ's name, and amen.
great message and song, Sheltered in the Arms of God. Glad to be here with y'all today. I really am. I've been looking forward to this ever since Jesse called and asked me if I would fill in one of these days of here in February where he's taking what we call an in-house sabbatical from preaching, you know, and that's a good thing. It really is. It's a good thing to sometimes back up, do a gut check on things, get along with the Lord and do some things that need to be done spiritually that are interfered with, believe it or not, by the fact that you're always under the gun to do, to perform and to do a sermon morning, night, Wednesday night and all that. And so it's a good thing for your pastor to do this. And I'm thankful that I am one of the ones that he considered to be able to come and stand behind the sacred desk and to proclaim to you in his absence uh, from this role as your pastor. I'm thankful for that. A uh, little announcement before I get started. Uh, also, while you ladies are doing the baby shower, come and go next week, we're going to be having and talking about missions. We're having a mission team meeting at Beachwood Baptist Church at 2 o'clock for all those interested in going with us to Hanover, Indiana, uh, the last week in July. I know a number of folks from this church go with us in our Builders for Christ trips, and we are uh, always uh, thankful for those that do come, and we know sometimes you're not able to come, but we have, uh, we're going to have a good time this year helping Hanover Baptist Church. They're relocating from where they are in a uh, situation in downtown Hanover, which isn't very big. It's a small town, but they're landlocked where they are, and they can't expand, and they're moving a couple of miles out on the highway. It's a property that they bought and have been sitting on for over 10 years. Y'all know about that, don't y'all? Some of y'all shake head this way because y'all sat on this land for a while before y'all moved and built here. And they, they, they have, uh, and we're going to help them this summer uh, with the construction of, a, of an auditorium that will seat over 400. Uh, they're running between 180 and 200 now, and they're locked in and can't grow. And so we're going to be helping Hanover Baptist Church. And so if you want to help us, uh, you come and be a part of that with us. And we'll be having an interest in informational meeting this next Sunday uh, at 2 o'clock at Beachwood. So, so say some commercial over. Let's switch gears. Alexander the Great was one of the greatest generals who ever lived. He never, ever lost a battle. In fact, he, you know, he, was, he lived about the time, 300 years before Christ, and he died, uh, coincidentally, at about the same age that Jesus did, at age 33, 32 to 33. He had become uh, the king of Macedon in, at the age of 20, and over the next 13 years, he fought battles all the way from Egypt to India. Never lost a battle. He's remembered for a lot of things that he did and a few things that he said because he's a man of action and not of words. But this is one of the quotes from Alexander the Great. He said, I am not afraid of an army of lions being led by sheep, but I am afraid of an army of sheep being led by a lion. Although he never lost a battle, he died three years after he turned 30 and where he had conquered the entire known world of Western world at that time. 
and he died in a drunken stupor, and his empire was divided among three of his generals. Why do I tell you all this? Because unwittingly, Alexander the Great described the model army of the kingdom of God. He described what we are. We are the sheep of God's army. And our general is the line of the tribe of Judah. And we are to follow his leadership in all things. He's to be our leader. We are to be the sheep. Yet we're also to be an army. Now, the, Paul, in his letter to the church at Corinth, is concerned about the army of God at Corinth. He's concerned about the church that he helped to found with Aquila and Priscilla, and it was later strengthened by Apollos in his ministry. You can read about all that in Acts chapter 18 and following. Corinth was the fourth most strategic city, an important city in the Roman Empire because of its location there on the isthmus that, that, that separated the Aegean Sea from the, uh, from the uh, Mediterranean Sea. It was a commercial crossroads uh, for goods and services, and it resulted in it becoming the capital city of the province of Achaia and the proconsul. And a proconsul is more than a consul. A consul was over the religious affairs, excuse me, over the judicial affairs of, of a district or a province, but the proconsul was also the governor as well. He was over the everything. And so the proconsul made his home there in Corinth and later on, Paul would stand before Gallio, the, the proconsul, and make a defense of the gospel. Near the end of his year and a half of, of ministry there. The city was wealthy. It was cosmopolitan and very wicked. It was a very wicked city. In fact, it was known for the cult of Aphrodite, the goddess of love, who utilized temple prostitutes to garner riches for the cause and even the many sailors who passed their way through Corinth spoke of the low morality of the city. But in the midst of such a place, the gospel took root and a church had been born. A church of Jesus Christ and a church that Paul loved. His most lengthy letters, all of all of his Letters, the, the two longest are the ones to the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians and, and 2 Corinthians are his longest letters. Because the church was beset with issues, issues that he had to deal with. Just by virtue of the place in which the gospel had been planted there, it had to deal with certain things. And, 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 and the problem is that Many times the church, as it's dealing with issues, have to be reproved and rebuked and instructed and exhorted and, and has to be nurtured by God. And this is what Paul was doing for the church at Corinth. This morning I'd like to share with you a few truths from this important letter. The first epistle of Paul the Apostle to the Corinthians we're going to start in the first chapter. There are truths here that every church in every age needs to hear. These are things that all believers in the Lord Jesus Christ need to know. 
that I'm going to share with you today. These are challenges that we all face and that we need to learn to face together. So we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 18. Rather lengthy passage, but bear with me as I read from God's word. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, for those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you in the end that you may be blameless in the days of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. Lest anyone should say I baptized in my own name. Yes, and I also baptized the house of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray together for just a moment. Father, I pray that today as we look at your word, that you will teach us from your word. That you will instruct us from your word. That you will rebuke us from your word. That you will exhort us from your word. That you will help us, Lord, to see ourselves through the mirror of your word. And Father, I pray for those here today who cannot understand your word because they do not have Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They do not have the Holy Spirit in their heart that is quickening the the word of God in their mind and in their soul. Lord, I pray that today if there is any here that do not know Christ, that they will see their need to know you. And Lord, I pray for Christians today who have forgotten the promises of God or have neglected the reading of the word of God or who have not let the things of God become the most important things in their life and they have substituted the lesser for the better. Lord, I pray that today that they may see 
what it is you would have them to do. Lord, may we have ears to hear and a heart to obey what your word speaks to us this day. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, as we look at God's word here this morning, I want to say a few things about what Paul is trying to convey. There are many truths found in the letters of Paul. and uh, I could go on and on about what's in this letter, and I could divide it in different ways. But I want to rightly divide the word of truth today with you. And I want to speak those things that God has quickened in my spirit to say to you today. And so I want to share with you four truths from these 18 verses of Scripture that God would have me to share with you. In the first three verses, we have Paul's salutation. And to me, this salutation, this this greeting that he has to the church at Corinth is really an example of the church as it should be. This is Paul saying to the, the church, this is the way you're supposed to be. This is the way God would have you to be. The church as it should be. Now, he does a common salutation. You know, in all of Paul's letters as he's speaking, he does things the way they normally did in those days. And he identifies himself first as the author of this letter. We do it opposite nowadays. We we say, dear so-and-so, and at the end we say, love, and put our name at the end. And you know, you open up a three or four page letter, you usually flip back to the back if it doesn't have something on the envelope telling you who it's from. You want to know who it's from, don't you? Well, Paul answers that question up front and says, it's from me. It's from Paul. And then he gives his authority by which he may be able to write such a letter of instruction, exhortation, and rebuke to the church at Corinth. He begins to tell them why he is able to write this letter to them with authority from God. This common salutation, he says, uh, he says, I'm an apostle of, of Jesus. He says, it's not from, from my own longing. It's not from my own desire to be an apostle, but it's because he has appointed me to be his man. It's the will of God. Now, that's the way it is for all of us, isn't it? We are who we are, not by our own will, but by the will of God. We're a part of the body of Christ because God wanted us to become a part of the body of Christ. He made known his will unto you through the preaching of the word. You heard it and you were quickened in your spirit and you were drawn unto him. It is the will of God that makes us what we are. And this is what Paul says. He says, I'm an apostle of God by the will of God. Now, he he has an interesting addition here. He says not only it's from me, but then he also mentions Sosthenes, our brother. Now, the name Sosthenes only appears one other time in Scripture, and, and that's in Acts chapter 18. You can go back and read the story. But Paul is brought before Gallio, the proconsul, and his accuser is the head of the Jewish synagogue, and the man's name is Sosthenes. Now, let's look here just a minute at this. Now, we don't know, and I've read several different accounts, and whether or not this Sosthenes in Acts 18 is the same Sosthenes that's in Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse 1. I don't know if it is or not. I'll ask 
Paul, when I get to heaven, I've already been warned about the sinking pulpit, and uh, I'll try not to. <laughs> I'll try not to lean on it too much. But Sosthenes uh, is was the we know in Acts chapter eighteen was the ruler of the synagogue, and he brought uh, the accusation to Gallio that Paul was subverting the Jewish faith, and Gallio says, "I don't care." And drove them out of the, he says, it's, it's, it's a religious matter. It's not a judicial matter. It's not a, a, a civil matter that you're dealing with. And, and, and it says that the Greeks beat Sosthenes. They beat him severely. Now, I, now I'm just supposing here a little bit, and I can do that because I'm up here. <laughs> I'm just supposing that maybe Sosthenes started thinking about his life and about what brought him to this state where he was beaten and perhaps uh, because of the crisis of him being dishonored and discouraged uh, he began to rethink some of the things he had heard Paul teaching and maybe just maybe this same Sosthenes is the Sosthenes that Paul later says is our brother in first Corinthians I don't know that for a fact but it's just like God to do that isn't it it's just like God to do that. It's just like God to take someone just like he did with Paul. And I think about how Sosthenes and Paul had so much in common. I mean, Paul was Saul of Tarsus. He was one of the Jews of the diaspora, the dispersed ones. He was one of those who had learned their faith uh, away from the land of Israel. And Sosthenes, and that's a Greek name, not a Jewish name, is also a Jew of the diaspora. He's, he's out there in Corinth, of all places, ruling over the synagogue. And it's just like God to bring those two people that had similar backgrounds and, and uh, similar type of issues, uh, both accusers of the church, into faith and couple them together to propagate the gospel. Now, most people say that the letter of 1 Corinthians was written from the church of Ephesus or written from Ephesus. And that's the next place. And so they're saying this an early letter too. It's a pretty early letter. It's one of the early letters because he had heard so quickly how things had begun to go downhill after he left. And so within a year or two, he's having to write letters to the church at Corinth to try to correct some of the dangers and the issues that they had fallen into. And I love the fact that he has Sosthenes. And it's written to the church of God at Corinth. And then he starts talking about the church as it's supposed to be. The church as it should be. Sanctified in Christ Jesus. Called to be saints with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us those defining characteristics of the church as it should be, sanctified in Christ Jesus, not in our own works, not in our own selves, but in Christ Jesus are we sanctified. We are identified as saints of God. Even those outside the church look at us and say we're people of God and we're all part of the whole. That's an important thing. Sometimes we as Christians have a tendency to think of our church as the church. We have a tendency to look at and say, oh, well, where do you remember? Oh, I'm a member over here at such and such. And that is the church. We cannot ever fall into that 
We cannot fall into that understanding because we are part of the whole. We are part of the whole. Here and there, Paul says. <laughs> the church is here and there. It's all over the place. We are all a part of the whole. This is the church, and we need to understand it that way. We have to understand that the church is, is because God made it. It's not, uh, you know, Sosthenes, whose name means a strong base in, in, in Greek. He, he had been, he had thought about the, the, the base of the synagogue, and now we're thinking about the base of the church, the church as it should be. Paul makes us aware that the church is a universal body of believers. And then he mentions the prayer ministry of the church of how we touch the throne of God when we pray. We touch one another's lives when we pray, both here and there. You want to be involved in missions, pray for missionaries. You want to be involved in the life of your church, pray for your church. You want to be involved in seeing lost people come to salvation in Jesus Christ, then you pray for lost people. Pray that they will come to a saving knowledge of the truth. When your prayers are being lifted up to God, you're involved in ministry. These are the defining characteristics of the church. The church as it should be. You know, I think about Wednesday night prayer meeting. In most churches, it's usually the poorest attended church service in, uh, in the, of the church. Is it because it's unimportant to the church? No, I think not. I think it's become unimportant in the lives of a casual Christian to meet with others and to pray to be involved in corporate prayer with others. We don't think it's important. Jesse, you've heard about what's going on up at Asbury in Kentucky. There's prayer meetings been going on for days now, folks. All they do is pray and pray. That's all they've been doing for days now. And this ain't the first time it's happened at Asbury. And they're Methodists, folks. I don't care where revival starts. I just want it to come through my house. I want it to come through my town. I want revival to break out. And it's only going to break out if we find our needs more important than our comfort. The church as it should be is a praying church. Sanctified. Called of God. Called saints of God by others who look at it. This is the church as it should be. I could camp out here all day, but let's move on. Paul's conveying grace and peace from God to the church. He's talking about how that works. His salutation is concluding that um, that, that which every church needs. Know you what every man, woman, and child needs. We need peace with God. And that only comes when we have grace from God. The grace that results in peace, the peace that goes beyond our understanding, the peace that goes beyond what this world can offer. Only through Christ can peace come to your life. Moving on now to verse 4, 
through 7, we find Paul's supplication for the church. We actually see Paul practicing what he's already said. He's going to pray for them. He says, this is the church as God wants it to be. He says, at first he's told us the church as it should be. And now he's telling us as God wants it to be because he knows sometimes what we should be and is not always what we are, you know. And so this is how God wants us. He thanks God for the church at Corinth. He's about to tell them how messed up they are, folks. <laughs> he's about to tell them some of the problems that they're facing. At, at, at many times we'll go through our emotions with our head stuck in, 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 like an ostrich in the sand and we don't see the dangers that are around us. We need to understand, and so Paul is uh, praying for them, and he's, he's beginning to say to them in verse 4, he says he thanks God for the church of Corinth. But before he, he tells them how messed up they are, he, he reassures them of his love for them by speaking glowingly of them, by speaking to them how much he loves them. Uh, and look how often he says you in these verses, eight times in verses 4 through 7. He's talking to you. He's talking to you. He's telling the church, the church at Corinth these things. He wants them to know that God was at work in them and was working through them. And he's going to talk at them in, at length in, in, in chapters 12 through 14 about spiritual gifts and their use and their, and their misuse. But he's laying the groundwork for them here with his statement about them being, in verse 5, being enriched in everything. By him, that is God, in all utterance and knowledge. These two areas in what you say and what you know. You know, he's talking about uh, the church as God wants it to be. He wants us to be filled with the knowledge of God. And he wants us to speak those things that are in our mind with the knowledge of God. He says that, that they come short in no gift in verse 7. He says... You come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. The point is, God will give you what you need to do what he calls you to do. God will gift the church, and he will place people in this congregation, and in every church he will place folks in order to fulfill the ministry to which that church is called. What we have to do is to be faithful as he is faithful. There are two words there that he tells us about being faithful. He says, God is faithful. We have to use those gifts appropriately. We have to use them right and correctly for his authority. Now, I'm going to digress here for just a minute because there's a lot of people who mistake a talent for a spiritual gift. There's a difference. A talent can be used outside the church to bring glory to yourself. You may be talented in something like uh, uh, playing an instrument or singing. You may be talented in, in something like writing. You may be talented in, in, in even speaking publicly. You may be talented in those areas, but what's the difference between that and a spiritual gift? A spiritual gift stops being a spiritual gift when it's used be, for something besides God's glory. It's no longer a spiritual gift. Oh, he's been given a gift by God. Well, listen, folks. If he's using it or she's using it for something other than God's glory, it's not a spiritual gift, folks. It's just a human talent. And there's some talented people in this world. 
They're some talented. In fact, they far outshine us in so many areas. We can't compete with the world when it comes to talent. But they cannot compete with the church when it comes to using your gifts for God. When we use the gifts that God has given to us, whether it be business and organization, whether it be leadership, whether it be the proclamation, whether it be anything else, you know, mercy, all those. And this, you know, go and read about the spiritual gifts. I'm not going to talk about over there in Romans chapter 12. And he talks about them in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You can even find a short list over in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 22 and 23, um, excuse me, 11 and 12. We're not talking about the spiritual gifts today. I'm just talking about their use. God wants you to use them to build up the church. And to bring more people into the church. That's what the gifts of God are for. And they cease to be a spiritual gift and just becomes merely a talent. Two words that describe the church as God wants us to be are the word faithful and fellowship. God is faithful even when we're faithless. We're told that in 2 Timothy 2.15 because he cannot deny himself. But he wants his church to be faithful like he is faithful to us. He wants us to be faithful. We're a fellowship of believers. That's what the church is, a koinonia. It's an assembly. It's an ecclesia. It's a group of believers fleshing out the body of Christ in a fallen world. We're demonstrating the ways of God in a darkened society. And that's where the problem lies. We are in the world, but sometimes the world gets into the church. Let us not caricature, caricature this truth and start going after external things like cell phones and clothing and conduct. It was Henry David Thoreau who said, there are a thousand hacking at the branches of evil to the one who's striking at the root. Let us strike at the root of evil right now, just as Paul did with the church at Corinth. And the third truth is found in verses 10 through 16. The next section, as Paul's statement about the church as it should not be. He's told us what the church should be. He's told us what the church could be. Now he's telling us what the church should not be. The church should not be divided. The church should not be pulling apart. The church is to be one. There were four factions that were reported to Paul that had developed in the church of Corinth. The Paul faction, the Peter faction, the Apollos faction, and the Jesus faction. And uh, now I'm not going to go into the nuances of all the difference of those. You can read about those in sectarian groups. You can study that for yourself. Quite an interesting study. Paul does not go into it either other than to acknowledge them as disruptive elements in the fellowship. That was destroying their koinonia, destroying the church, and was keeping the church from being all that God wanted it to be. Verse 10 gives Paul's plea. Read that, if you would. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and there be no divisions among you. Now the word division is the same word we get... Uh, you know, it's a schism. It's, it's the same word that we get, you know, uh, the tearing apart of something that, that, that should be a whole. No schisms, no divisions, no cliques. 
Paul knows that we fall into the enemy's hands when we start squabbling over things that don't matter. I get to thinking how some of the Corinthians might even have read this letter or heard this letter being read and and developed another uh, schism, the anti-Chloe schism. You know, they're sitting there thinking to myself, that Chloe, now look what she has done. She has stirred Paul up and he's done had to write us a letter. The indignation of it all. Can't you just see that? Somebody getting upset with Chloe because Chloe's had reported unto Paul what was going on. And Paul just had the audacity to write it into his letter that this is where I heard this news. And so now we got these folks from there all puffed up and upset at Chloe. Bless old Chloe's heart. Are we all just like that sometimes though? Instead of turning and looking inside, am I at fault here? We begin to accuse and think about others and what they've done. That's the way we do. Unless we learn to put down our preferences, unless we learn to put down our emotions, learn down to put down our thinking, put down our conclusions, put down our wisdom, put down our hurts, put down our guilt, put down our resentment, put down our pride, put down our own reasoning, put down our own selves. We are not ready to hear what God is wanting to say to us. We've got to start looking at our own motives before we have ears to hear what the Spirit says. In verse 13, he asked a question. Is Christ divided? It's a question that's a rhetorical question. It thunders from heaven with a resounding no. No, Christ is not divided. John chapter 17, which is the Lord's Prayer, not the one we often quote. It's found in Matthew, Mark, Luke. John 17 is the Lord's Prayer to his Father, On the night before he dies, on the cross the next day. And what does he say? In verse 9 of John chapter 17, he says, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those that you have given me. For they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them through your name to those you have given me, that they may be divided. No that they may be one as we are. That they may be one. You go back and read John 17, how many times he asked God to keep us unified in the faith, keep us pulling together, doing the same things, moving forward for the gospel of Jesus Christ. What God is saying to them and to us is this, is get out of the way. Just get out of the way. Let my spirit unite you and grow you and let yourself be led by me instead of yourselves. My church is to be of one mind, my mind. That's what Jesus is saying. And my mind is a church growing and going and moving forward. The latter part of the section, Paul is appalled that anybody would use him as a point of division. He sit there, he, he's, so, he's so much that he addresses his role in the formation of the church and how it is coming, you know, and how he is supposed to be, you know. Uh, 
he gives his historical role in the founding and he distances himself from any who may say and use his name as a point of pride or a test of fellowship. That's what he's doing with all that little personal part about I baptize this person, this person, and the household of this, and, and I don't know that I baptize any others, but don't use me as an excuse. Don't use the name of Paul to keep you from following the way of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He goes on with this fourth truth, which we will consider clarifying what his role was. And the fourth truth is Paul's assignment. He was preaching the church into being. That's what Paul himself had been called to do. And, he, and, and as we finish our, our, our time here today, we're going to look at verses 17 and 18. Uh, excuse me. Uh, yeah, verses 17 18. And I want you to understand, Paul was a church planter. That's what God had called him to do. God had called him to birth churches. It was his calling to bring churches into being, to equip them to survive, to correct them when they were straying from the paths of truth, to admonish them, to exhort them, to love them, and to discipline them. This is what this letter is all about. And Paul, in these next two verses, is going to examine, that we're going to examine, reveals his method for church planting and church growth. In other words, he's saying, keep the main thing, the main thing. What does he say? Christ did not send me to baptize. Don't get caught on these peripheral things. He says, baptism is is something, it's important, but it's not the main thing. The main thing, keep the main thing, the main thing. And what is the main thing? He tells us, preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words. Lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness. We can't convince the world that a man dying on a cross 2,000 years ago can make a difference in their life. We can't convince them of that with just logic and reason. The power of the gospel is the story itself. And it is the Spirit of God quickening that, making it alive inside people so that they see the truth that God loves them that he sent his son into this world to die for them. That's what we got to keep the main thing, the main thing. We find ourselves fragmenting over differences when the gospel is the glue that holds us together. Jesus himself is the cohesive power of the universe by which all things consist. And the message concerning him is our lifeblood. Without it, we're just another fraternity of people who gather together to do things that suit ourselves. Sing songs, eat meals, go on trips, talk and do things that we like. Any social club can do that. Know what makes us the church? Jesus and him crucified and him buried, and him resurrected from the dead, and him seated at the right hand of the Father, and us telling that story over and over and over again. If you ever get tired of hearing about the cross, then folks, I want to question whether or not you know him. We should never get tired of hearing about our redemption. 
Jesus is the central figure of our faith series, the tie that binds, the one who died for us and rose again. Jesus, Jesus, nothing but Jesus, nothing but Jesus. If the church is going to move forward, then we need to preach Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed, let's pray together. Perhaps you're here today and God's word has spoken to your heart and made you realize that the Jesus Paul was talking about is a stranger to you. Jesus did die for you. He died for the sins of the world. He cares for you. You can know him today. You can become a Christian by accepting the finished work of Christ on the cross and surrendering yourself to him today. Or perhaps you're here and you realize this morning you've been playing at church. Maybe you're saved, but somewhere along the way you let the trappings of church become more important than the Savior, the head of the church. You're taking your eyes off your first love and putting on people and programs. You substitute a friend or a fellowship, a part of the whole, for a vital relationship with Christ and his body, the church. You need to repent of those things need to come to the altar and do business with God and put that down. Don't let your idea of what church should be keep you from experiencing what God wants church to be. And perhaps you're here and you just need to make things right with someone else that's a part of this church. God calls you to forgive as we've been forgiven by Him. Let go of your hurts. Let go of your grudges, your unforgiveness. And make it right. Just as Jesus loved you and forgave you, you are to do the same whatever it is that you need to do. Lord, I pray, Father, that right now as you're speaking to people, that they will do as you would have them to do, not say no to the Spirit of God. They will let you have full reign in their hearts. I pray, Father, you take over this invitation, commitment time. You can. Of course, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
take a moment and pray together this morning. Our Father, Lord, the words of that song are so familiar to us. God, we often don't know how true they are. Lord, there's no path forward for any of us as your people or as the people of God without trust and obedience. God, I pray as a body here at this place that we would learn to trust you. Brother Steve said, Lord, that we would learn to stop saying no to the Holy Spirit. That we would obey you when it comes to faithful prayer. We would obey you, Lord, in your charge to be a united church. That we would obey you in faithfully proclaiming the gospel and forgetting everything else. God, I pray you would continue the work you're doing in our church. And thank you for sending your messenger today to clarify and emphasize so many things that we still need to hear 2,000 years after Corinth. Lord, do your work in our place, in our lives. Do it in my heart, I pray. Whatever the cost, I pray you would do it. Lord, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brother Steve, thank you so much. Thank you so much. We do have one announcement that we need to uh, make this morning. Um, If you would be seated for just a moment. We don't want to keep you... um, But I'm going to ask Brother Adam Waters, who's the chairman of our personnel committee, to come forward. Dude, there's only one Adam Waters that goes to church here. (laughs) Somebody give me a hot microphone for Brother Adam. future of, of how best to, to honor and glorify God um, from, a, from a personnel standpoint, and um, we believe and we have asked um, Brother Will Jackson to transition from music ministry uh, into the role of administrative pastor, um, and he has willingly uh, accepted that, that charge, that role. And so, um, Lord willing, we will bring that as an official recommendation to uh, our next Sunday night and set the vision for you. In the meantime, if you've got questions, comments, snide remarks, whatever, feel free to find me and I'll set you straight. Um, That's all all I got. Amen. Amen. Brother Steve said while he was preaching this morning that God is faithful to put the right people in the congregation at just the right time. And God has been faithful to put Will and Haley in our church body. And, and so many of us recognize Brother Will's administrative gifts and his pastoral gifts. And we felt like it's time for him to step fully into that role. So as Brother Adam said, I don't know if, you ha- if he had the microphone and you heard this, but, but uh, brother, brother Will be stepping into role as our administrative pastor. And so be praying for him. He got a lot of changes in his life, especially as they welcome little Palmer. So be praying for them. But uh, we will make that official, Lord willing, next Sunday night in our church conference. Amen? Amen. I pray that the Lord blesses you and keeps you, that he makes his face shine upon you, that he lifts up his countenance towards you, and he gives you his peace. We're going to pray, and you will be dismissed. Brother Sam Trust, will you pray for us as we are dismissed today?